0: Well good morning. It is good to see you this fine Sunday morning. So today we're uh, finishing up our uh series uh entitled Back to School uh, as the kids have been back to school for a while now about a month um and to kind of get recap where we have gone through our series or or our, our study on being back to school, we'll, we'll kind of start at the beginning. The first week, uh, we talked about uh, the importance of getting back to Sunday school. Um, we, we took a look at a silly little statistic uh, that uh, the average person... Uh, uses the restroom more than an hour on a weekly basis. Um, And if we're only attending uh, the worship service once a week, then we are uh, using the restroom more than we are attending church. Uh, And not a statistic I want to fall under in. Um, But so Sunday School provides a great uh, opportunity for an extra hour of learning, fellowship, and discipling. And there's many other opportunities and programs uh, that our church offers. But Sunday School is a a great uh, opportunity as uh, there's really not any scheduling conflicts hardly ever uh, Sunday morning, um, so you can come out and join us at 9.30 for our Sunday school classes. Uh, and then two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of realigning our priorities, and we took a look at the book of Haggai, um, maybe a book uh, you, you've never read before or haven't heard much of. Um, we saw that how in the book of Guy or Haggai, some people refer to as um, we saw that the Israelites, uh, well, it was a time where the Israelites needed to rebuild the temple of God, but the Israelites were more concerned about rebuilding their own homes. They, they were more worried and consumed with rebuilding their own homes than rebuilding God's temple because their city was destroyed by the Babylonians, and they prioritized their own homes before God's temple, but before God's house. And God told them that they need to consider their ways. And the Israelites did just that, and they realigned their priorities. They made God number one in their life by focusing on rebuilding God's temple. And and many of us, too, may need to realign our priorities. Many of us, if we look at our schedules, we we may see, wow, God really maybe isn't the number one priority in our life. And so we need to be focusing on realigning our priorities in life because God needs to be first and foremost in our life. And last week, uh, we talked about uh, making a habit of reading God's word on a daily basis. And we all know it's extremely important to read God's word on a daily or regular basis. And we can all have good intentions in doing so, but a lot of us fail to to actually put forth those intentions into action. And that's because we're not making a habit out of it. We're we're creatures of habit, we are absolutely creatures of habit. And so, if we want to get And the notion and the idea of reading God's Word on a regular basis, we need to make a habit out of it. And so we went over four ways to make reading God's Word a habit. The first one is you need to make an appointment. You need to appoint a designated time in your schedule to read God's Word. You need to find a special place. You need to find a place uh, free from or as free from distractions as you can get. Number three, you need to create an atmosphere. You should, cre- you should make reading a pleasurable experience and create a pleasurable atmosphere when you, when you read God's word. And the fourth one is you need to follow a plan. We, we've all heard if, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And if you don't follow any sort of plan as far as reading through God's word, you're, you're going to get sidetracked, you're going you're to get tired of it, and you're not going to stick through it. So follow a plan. So those are four steps, uh, ways in which you can create a habit of reading God's word on a daily basis. And throughout the week, I was extremely encouraged. As I heard uh, some of you guys talking about it, either after the sermon on Sunday or later on. Uh, through Facebook, I saw a number of people post on Facebook, and I was extremely encouraged to see that so many people are trying to make reading God's Word a habit in their life. so, so I want to give kudos to all of you guys out there who, who is trying to make that deliberate effort in, in, in reading God's word on a daily daily basis and making a habit. Out of it, so, so good job to you guys out there who, who's trying to make a habit, habit of it. Pat yourself on the back um, as it is a great work. And it was, ex- again, extremely encouraging to me uh, this past week. Yeah, it's good to hear a g- good sermon, Kyle, or you know God, God really spoke to me through you. But the best that, that I can hear from you guys is hearing how it impacted you. And I can truly see um, that, that God's word um, is impacting you. So, so praise God. Give all the glory to God. And so today, as we finish up our series on uh, back to school, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the influence that our friends have. Friends are a big part of our life. And as for me in school, friends really made school for me. You know, the friends is what made school fun for me. You know, they can really make or break a school year. If, if you have close friends at school, you're much more likely to enjoy school. Or on the flip side, if you don't have very many close friends at school, you're a lot less likely to enjoy school. And in general, kind of your favorite classes in school are, are those classes with which your friends are in. And, so, and that was a big reason why I loved soccer, and wasn't a big fan of band as I didn't have many friends in our band and so I, I didn't have much interest in it. But all my friends were on the soccer team and that's, that was a big reason, huge reason why I loved playing soccer and being on the soccer team. Because all my friends were on the soccer team and that made soccer the highlight uh, of my school career there. And friends uh, can be the difference of you liking or disliking a job as well. Um, It it reminds me of when I was attending the Bible college down in Atlanta. Uh, I worked uh, with Jerry Briggs uh, in his landscaping uh, business. Um, Jerry Briggs, uh, someone in the Church of God, the Cornerstone Church, uh, he actually helped set up some of the technology um, back there. But he owns a landscaping uh, company, and me and one of my buddies uh, from the college uh, would go help him uh, work for him. And I'm telling you, work was actually kind of enjoyable when I had my friend Jacob Parra uh, by my side and we were working together. But work was not really fun at all when, when for whatever reason, Jacob uh, wasn't there. Jacob Parra, uh, my good buddy who I went to uh, his wedding uh, last month, it was in his his wedding. So for whatever reason, if Parra wasn't there, work kind of drug along and I didn't really enjoy it. But when Parra was there, then I seem to enjoy it. And many of you guys probably have similar experiences. If you have friends at work, you can make your work experience a lot more enjoyable. Whereas if you don't have friends at work, maybe it's, it's not so enjoyable. And the friends, not only do friends have an impact on whether or not we enjoy being at a certain spot or not, but they also have a tremendous influence in our life. As, as I talk about Jacob Parr, one of my close friends, uh, he's from Canada and if you don't know, Canadians kind of have a distinct accent, and uh, they're they're known for often saying at the end of a question or something they'll go hey, hey, Have you heard that a? Hey? You know, it's like do you do you want a bag? You, you like those chips, eh? Hey? Or how about that taco, eh? Hey? Or that test was pretty hard, eh? Hey? You know. And at first it was really kind of weird hearing them say a hey, at pretty much the end of every question. But I found myself and spending time with them, I would often end my questions with A. You know, you want to go out to eat A or something like that? I was like, it's ridiculous. He was influencing how I spoke. I mean, that's crazy. Our friends have huge influences on our life, but that's just one silly little example. But I'm sure many of us can think of silly little examples like that in our life where our friends have an influence on us. Maybe your friend, uh, it changes your vocabulary a bit. Maybe they say some weird phrase or something that you pick up. Or uh, maybe they encourage or influence you to eat something new. Or maybe they encourage you, influence you to watch a, a movie or a new TV show. Or to play a game or whatever it may be. Our friends have influence in our life and it is so evident. And the Bible talks about the influence that others can have on us as well. Now the thing is that our friends and our peers can have two types of influences. They can have a positive influence in our life or they can have a negative influence in our life. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning is is the type of influence that our friends can have. And today we're going to take a look through the scriptures, an example of people being influenced negatively by their friends or peers, but then also an example, a story of someone being influenced positively by their peers. And so we'll start with the negative, kind of want to go with the bad news first and then end with the good news. So we'll start with uh, an example of someone or a group of people influencing another group of people in a negative way. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be reading from uh, chapter 15, the resurrection chapter and we're going to see an example of, of a kind of negative influence that people can have on others. And so to kind of give us some background before we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, we got to know what, what it kind of the book is all about. Well, Paul is writing uh, this letter, Corinthians. Uh, Paul wrote uh, nearly half of the books of the New Testament. And here Paul wrote uh, this letter or this book to the church, to the church of Corinth. And he wrote it at about 55 AD. And that's about 20 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So we're talking 20 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, Paul wrote this letter to the church of Corinth. And we also see in, in Paul's letter, actually in this letter, that we see that Jesus, after he died, he, he, he was resurrected, but he didn't just immediately ascend into heaven. He, he wandered and ministered on the earth for 40 days. And here it describes in, in chapter 15, actually, verses 3 through 11, kind of go through the different appearances Jesus made to the people in between his, his resurrection and him ascending into heaven, where he's at the right hand of God uh, right now. And, and it mentions that Jesus Jesus appeared to over 500 people in between his resurrection and ascending into heaven. So 500 people saw with their own eyes that Jesus was indeed alive. That Jesus was resurrected from the grave. That Jesus was once dead, but he is now alive. Over 500 people after, after he was resurrected. And this takes place 20 years later. But Paul mentions that most of the people who saw Jesus are still alive. So most of that 500 people who actually saw that Jesus was alive and well, they, they were still living it. And they, and they could testify to their friends and family to say that, yes, Jesus truly was resurrected from the, from the grave. He truly rose from the grave. And so what we see here in in verse 12 of chapter 15, where we'll read, is a little troubling uh, for me to read, as both with the words and with the, the the emotions of it. As in verse 12, it says, "Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead?" So here we see that again, just 20 years after Christ was resurrected and after so many people actually saw Jesus was alive and that Jesus actually was resurrected, Paul asked, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And so just 20 years after Christ was resurrected, people, people are saying there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And Paul goes over the implications of this bold statement. And so we continue in verse 13, he says, But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and, and you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in, the, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so here, Paul talks about the implications of of the bold statement that there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. If there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead, if people can't can't rise from the grave, then not even Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And Paul says, if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the grave, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Everything that we do is in vain. If Christ has not indeed been been resurrected from the grave, then everything that we do as Christians, as a church, it's all useless. It's all useless. And by the way, we're still in our sins. And the wages of sin is death. That that was the, the scary implications of that bold statement that some people in the church were saying. They're saying that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And the implications are serious. They're very serious. If there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then Jesus was not resurrected from the grave. If Jesus was not resurrected from the grave, that means he wasn't the Christ because the Christ was to be resurrected. And if Jesus wasn't the Christ, then surely he could not have been able to die for our sins. And if we're still in our sins, we will not be able to, to partake in God's coming kingdom, but rather we will all pay for the wages of our sin and death and those are the serious implications of not believing in the resurrection of the dead which is exactly what some people were thinking just 20 years after jesus was resurrected and after so many people could testify with their own eyes their own two eyes they saw jesus after he was dead And Paul continues and he talks about the resurrection, chapter 15 known as the resurrection chapter. A a great chapter to kind of uh, give us uh, information um, about both the resurrection of Jesus and our future resurrection when Jesus comes back to this earth. But we're going to skip ahead down to verse 32, the, the second part of it, as Paul continues talking about the resurrection and how some people have the audacity to not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says at the second chunk of verse 32, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So here Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts. Good character, good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. And we see that exact thing taking place in the church of Corinth. As there's people in this church who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and, and that idea that belief was, was spreading amongst the people. The people were being influenced by their notion, by their by their awful idea that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And the people there were influenced by their peers, by by their belief, by their lack of faith in the resurrection of the dead. And again, if we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then we can't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then he wasn't the Christ. And if if Jesus wasn't the Christ, then he didn't die for our sins. And this is the exact statement, the the exact belief that was being spread amongst the people. And we ask why? Why? It's because bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts us. Bad company can corrupt us, and it did just that in the church of Corinth. We are so influenced by our peers. Sometimes that that influence can be positive, but sometimes that influence is negative, just like in this example in the church of Corinth. And we have to be weary of this, that sometimes the influences in our life are negative, and and they influence us to to believe in in audacious claims. They, They lead us to behave wickedly, for bad company corrupts good morals. So that's an example of, of someone influ- or a group of people influencing another group of people in a negative sense. But I, I'm an optimistic guy, and I like to focus on the positive side. So we'll go ahead and do just that. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 1. This is all about uh, the friendship of David and Jonathan. David probably someone most of you guys are familiar with, and Jonathan maybe some of you guys as well are familiar with. But to give you guys a bit of context before uh, we dive into the Scripture, uh, you've got to know three important characters. The first being Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And you know, at first Saul didn't have a a bad rulership. At first he he was a pretty decent king, but he started to go off track a bit. And as we'll see, jealousy played a big part in his downfall as the king of Israel. But Saul was the king of Israel. The second important character that we have to know is David. And David worked for King Saul. And we, we took a look uh, a number of weeks ago when we looked at the heroes of our faith. David was one of them. And we, saw, we, we took a look at the story of how David slayed the giant Goliath. And this takes place just a chapter after that. In chapter 17, David slays the giant Goliath. And we're going to pick up in chapter 18 here. And then we also got to know that David was anointed uh, as king by Samuel, by the prophet Samuel. And the third character is Jonathan. Jonathan. And again, we're focusing on the friendship of David and Jonathan. But the important thing that we have to know about Jonathan is that Jonathan is actually the son of King Saul. He's the son of the king. He is going to be the next heir uh, or or in most nations. He would have been the next heir of the nation of Israel as the king, as the, the, the lineage of the kingship would be passed down to their sons. And so he would have been aligned to be the next king. And so that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We'll start in verse 1. And and again, this is focusing on the relationship, the friendship uh, that uh, David and Jonathan had. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So there we see just, just a brief description uh, of the affection, uh, of the love that, that David and Jonathan had for one another. Had for one another. They truly had a, a very, very close relationship. Now, uh, a disclaimer, and it's unfortunate that I even have to mention this, um, as some people uh, try to uh, pervert uh, the scriptures, um, but some people make the, auda- the audacious claim uh, that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. Uh, this, this just plain uh, is not true. Uh, it's not uh, supported scripturally uh, as both the Old and New Testament um, condemn homosexual relationships. Um, it was an abomination as described in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22 and also in the New Testament as well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. And here it's describing a close relationship. And the Hebrew word for love there uh, connotates a friendship, not sort, not some sort of romantic uh, kind of love. And so uh, people nowadays uh, trying to make that that bold claim that David and Jonathan had a, a homosexual relationship, uh, but that uh, just is, is not true, um, as they, they had a close friendship, and the Hebrew word for love there connotates a friendship, not a romantic uh, kind of love. So with that said, again, unfortunately I even have to mention that, uh, but some people uh, try to uh, pervert the scriptures. But as we continue the story, as we see the kind of affection and the relationship that Jonathan and David had, that they were so close, we see that David served in the military. In fact, Saul made him uh, the, basically the general over uh the the army of israel and so david was was serving for king saul and david began to slay many of the philistines the philistines were the enemies Uh, the the giant goliath was the philistine himself and david was becoming very victorious in in his rule as basically a general in the army for god was with david And we see in verse 6 of chapter 18, it says, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Here we see, and we'll continue. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, "They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom?" And Saul eyed David from that day on. Just the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raged within his house while David was playing the, the lyre, as he did. L- as he did day by day, Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But uh, David evaded him twice. So here we see that David, he, he had a lot of success a, as serving in the military. And the, the women were singing songs to King Saul, and they say, King Saul, you have slain your thousands of Philistines. And David, his tens of thousands of Philistines And Saul did not like this. Saul wanted the spotlight on him and on him alone, not on his servant, David. And so Saul was growing very jealous of David as Saul knew that God was with David. And so what did Saul do with his jealousy? He sought to kill David. He he took a spear in his hand and he tried to hurl it at David, piercing him through his body. And he didn't just try to do that once, but, but it says that David evaded him twice, Twice Saul tried to kill David, the king Saul, King of Israel, the, the king of God's chosen people, was trying to kill David, the, the servant uh, of King Saul and the servant of God. And so as as we continue in the story, uh, we see a number of times that King Saul tries to kill David because Saul is very, very jealous. Of David. This is a good example of the negative effects that jealousy can have in our life, as Saul's jealousy made him want to kill David, and he actually attempted to kill David a number of times. But we'll fast forward a bit to chapter 19, and again, Saul, we'll see actually a number of times throughout the story. If you take the time to read through the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see that time and time again, King Saul tries to kill David. And so we see in chapter 19, verse 1, though, and it says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Jonathan Saul's son, delighted much in David. So here Saul, Saul gathered all of his people, and he said, Guys, we have got to kill David. And I remember, Jonathan is there. And remember, Jonathan is the son of King Saul, but also Jonathan is good friends with David. David. And so it continues, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you, for he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So here Saul, as he's gathering all of his people, Jonathan and Clint, he said, Guys, we have got to kill David. You know, Jonathan, being, being the son of the king, he, he approaches his father and says, Dad, we, we can't kill David, for he has done nothing wrong against you. He, he's innocent. We can't go on killing him. And believe it or not, I'm a bit surprised uh, that Saul actually, temporarily, listened to the advice of Jonathan, and Saul no longer pursued to kill David. And so here we see an example of Jonathan saving David. That's the type of influence that Jonathan had on David, where where Jonathan literally saved the life of David. Without Jonathan, I'm not sure David uh, would have lived uh, past the reign of King Saul. But but God uh, placed Jonathan in place to protect David, as Jonathan had such a positive influence on David that he literally saved the life of David. And, and in just the next chapter chapter 20 we see another example of jonathan saving the life of david from his father uh, kind of uh, uh an interesting story there and a unique tactic uh, by jonathan uh, to kind of warn david uh he he used a bow and arrow interesting story you should read it um, but we don't have enough time to cover it today um, but chapter 20 of first samuel an interesting story of jonathan saving david again uh with with a bow and uh three arrows um but we see that uh, two times, at least two times, Jonathan saved the life of David from his own father, King Saul. And so we see the, the type of influence that Jonathan had on David, where Jonathan literally saved the life of David. I mean, that's, that's about as good of an influence as it gets, as you can say you, you literally saved one of your friends. And that's the type of influence that we can have on other people. And so we see an example in 1 Corinthians, an example of of your peers having, or some peers having a negative influence on others. And we saw an example in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 19 and 20 of Jonathan having a positive influence on David. And both are are, are big stories. Both both were, were stark events. One, someone's life was being saved. And on the other,. People were saying that Jesus was not resurrected from the grave. People were were, were implying that they were still living in their sins. I mean, it's grave. And we ask, why? Why are these two stark events happening? It's because the influence that we have on others. And the influence that we have on others can be either one of two things. It can be a positive influence or it can be a negative influence. There's no such thing as a neutral influence. You're either a positive influence on someone or you are a negative influence on someone. And so my question to you guys today is, what type of influence are your friends, are your peers, are your friends at school, your your coworkers, your employees, your employers, your your family, what, what type of influence are they on you? Are they a positive influence on your life? Are they a negative influence on your life? Are they influencing you to grow closer to God on a daily basis? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. We have to to honestly evaluate the relationships we have in our life because we can see time and time again that our peers around us have influence on our life. And they can either serve as a positive influence in your life or they can serve as a negative influence in your life. Two weeks ago as we we took a look at the book of Haggai, uh, God told the Israelites twice to consider their ways. Well, 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 today this message, we need to consider our friends. We need to consider our relationships. Are your relationships influencing you to live closer to God? Are they they encouraging you and influencing you to grow closer to God on a daily basis? Are they encouraging you and influencing you to to share God's message with everybody? Or are they encouraging you to go in the opposite direction? Because I'm telling you, you you don't just remain stagnant with God. You're, You're always, at all times, you're either growing closer to God or you're growing apart from God? And are your relationships relationships that influence you to grow closer to God? I, I, sh- I sure hope so. And I'm sure we, we have some relationships on both sides. We probably, all of us probably have some positive influences in our life. And all of us probably, uh, unfortunately, have some negative influences in our life. But we need to consider our relationships Now let me speak to the youth for a minute, and parents, you may want to listen as well. I had friends in school that were not necessarily the best influence on me. They they were certainly not influencing me to grow closer to God on a on a daily basis. And if they are, again, if they are influencing you to grow closer to God, then they're influencing you to grow apart. From God, you're either growing closer or you're growing apart from God. And and, and I, I know I talk a lot about my friends from high school, and I make them out to be some sort of villains and awful people, but they weren't. They were they were just the average people in the world. You know, no, they they, they fit in with the rest of the world. And let me tell you, people who fit in with the rest of the world are negative influences in our lives. And, and that was my friends to a T. They they kind of just fit in with the rest of the world. And my parents warned me about that. My parents warned me about the type of influence that, that, that my friends could have on my life. And, and certainly, I, I probably influenced them some way, and, and they influenced me in some way. When your parents tell you that you shouldn't be influenced, or that you shouldn't spend time with, with a group of people or a certain particular person, listen to them. Listen to them, because your friends often can have a negative influence in your life. Your parents are right nearly 100% of the time when... Yeah, yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. They're they're right nearly 100 percent of the time when talking when when they detect a negative influence in your life when they think that someone is a negative influence in your life. I'm telling you, they're right nearly 100 percent of the time. And, and so listen to your parents when they warn you or tell you to to stay away from a certain friend or to stay away from from a group of friends because. There's lots of negative influences in, in, in the world. Unfortunately, there are way more negative influences in this world than there are positive influences in the world. The positive influences are, are few and far between. And so listen to your parents when, when, when they tell you to, to stay away from a group of friends or, or a particular person for... They're not telling you that to be some dictator over your life. Well, they may be, um, but... Uh, th- I, I can't speak for them, but I assume they're telling you because they love you. It's because they love you and they want the best for you. And, and we understand the type of influence that our friends can have on others. And I, and I was, uh, again, talking there to the youth as well because youth are very impressionable, but, but adults are as well. You adults aren't, aren't off the hook either. You know, some of your peers at work or some of your friends outside of work are, are negative influences in your life. And you need to detect these influences. And and you can't let them influence you in a certain direction because, again, you're either growing closer to God or you're growing apart from God. And I'm guessing some of us have influences in our life that are encouraging us to grow apart from God. And and I encourage you to to steer, uh, steer away from those relationships. Jim Ron, uh, a famous motivational speaker, uh, famously once said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So think about it. Who who are the five people that you spend the most time with in life? Who are the five people that, that are closest to you in your life? And honestly ask yourself, are they good influences in my life? Or are they a negative influence in my life? Do they encourage and influence me to live a godly life? Do they inspire me to grow closer to God on a daily basis? And if you took the average of your five closest relationships, would you be pleased with that person? Would you be pleased with that person? And taking the five people that you spend the most time with, and you take the average of them, would you be pleased if that was yourself? Would that be someone you would want your kids hanging around with and, and being influenced by? We need to consider this. For, for, there, there's a lot of validity to that statement that we are the average of the five people that we are the closest to. And you need to honestly evaluate the relationships that you have in your life. And you need to honestly see if your friends are influencing you in a negative way or a positive way. And we have to be careful of who we surround ourselves with because as we saw, there's a number of examples in the Scriptures. There's a number of examples in in, in our lives. Our peers have influence in our life. And if they're a negative influence on your life, then I'm I'm encouraging you to to, to separate from them a bit. No, No, you don't have to cut off the cord completely. You don't have to cut off the relationship completely. But your closest friends should be those friends that are a positive influence in your life. And for, for a lot of us, that, that may be the friends, your brothers and sisters to your right and your left, to, to the front of you and behind you. Oftentimes, we find those positive influences in the church. And, and I believe this is a great place to find a positive relationships. And that's something I want to do here at the church is to build positive influences and build positive relationships here at the church Something I talk about frequently uh, with the elders and talk about with the board as well is that the number one indicator of whether or not people stay in the church or not is if they have relationships there. The single number one indicator of whether or not people stay within a church is if they have relationships within the church. For for we are severely influenced by our friends. Friends. We're severely influenced by the relationships that we have. And if we have relationships with with people within the church, they'll encourage us to to continue attending. And we all know the the benefits of attending church. And so as a church, as the body of Christ, as a family of God, I want to encourage you all uh, to help with our health and growth as a church. When when we see a guest coming into the, the front doors, when we see a guest coming into the sanctuary, greet them. Talk to them. Get to know them. It's intimidating. It's intimidating walking into an environment that you're not familiar with. When everybody else calls each each other sister and brother. I mean, that's kind of a weird environment to throw yourself into. And it's intimidating. So I want to encourage each and every one of you guys, when we have someone new coming into the doors, greet them. Be, be, Be friendly to them. Get to know them. Build that relationship with them. For that's the number one indicating factor of whether or not they'll they'll come back to this church as if you're building that relationship with them for the number one indicator of whether or not people stay in a church as if they have relationships there. I, I cannot overstate that. And so please, 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 when someone comes into these doors, make that relationship with them. Make that relationship with them and be a positive influence in their life. Because as we consider the, the type of influence that others can have on us, we, all, we also have to consider the type of influence that we can have on others. And I hope that each and every one of you guys are positive influences to your friends and to your families. And so we need to consider the type of influence that we can have on our peers and the type of influence that our peers can have onto us. And if you're surrounding yourself with positive influences, I'm telling you, there's going to be positive effects in life. If you're surrounding yourself with, with people like this in the church, there'll be positive effects in your life. For your peers have an immense uh, effect, an immense influence on, on the direction of your life. And I'm telling you, either you're either growing closer to God, or you're falling apart. You, 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 can't ju- you can't just coast with God. There's no such thing. There's no such thing in any relationship to so just coast. You're either growing closer to someone, or you're growing apart from someone, and God is no different. And so please surround yourself by peers, by influences who influence and encourage you to grow closer to God on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you will see positive effects in your life. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for uh, this wonderful church, uh, this this wonderful body of believers uh, where we truly are a family uh, your family, as we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, I just pray uh, that we can all evaluate uh, the relationships that we have in our life. And Father, if, if there's people in here who have negative influences in their life, Father, I just pray that you give them the courage, the boldness to, to separate themselves from those people so that they can, can, can surround themselves by positive influences, people who encourage them to seek you day in and day out. Father, we we love you, Uh, we come humbly before you, and we thank you for the free gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.